on home ice. You improve your record to 6-1 and one on the year. Heck, I mean, at one point, the score last night was 6-1 in favor of the team that we're talking about. You'd think there'd be plenty of positivity from the head coach post-game. That was not the case last night in Edmonton. Oilers beat the Flyers 6-3, but listen to head coach Dave Tippett. And I this for whatever reason, when I heard this last night, Will, this, this really jumped off the page to me. I'm like, well, I, I got to talk to Will about this tomorrow. And I know you talked to Lou about it a little earlier on Hockey Central as well. Here's, here's Dave Tippett from last night. This does not sound like a guy who just saw his team and just coached his team to a 6-3 win. After the first two shifts of the game, we were outplayed by a wide margin until we got it turned around. Connor got that goal and we got a couple power play goals and you know, we pushed the game along, but between Drysaddle's first goal and Connor's goal in the second period, that uh, that wasn't how we have to play. Seems like a uh, pretty pointed message um, from the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Do you do you have the rest of that uh, thing I put in there, or did I even put it in there? Um, but oh, that's exactly what I put in there. Um, Pointing the clips that are in there, Patrick. Yeah, I put in. Uh, I put in. Was supposed to be a sixty-seven second <laughs> clip. The one about the uh, stars, or about well, the, the goaltender being all three stars. Is that where you? Yeah, you're... I put. Here's the problem. I put in a sixty-seven second clip, but I had something highlighted on it, and it only put in the twenty-five seconds. So uh, that's really frustrating. Anyway, the fact of the matter is. Anywho. Uh, anywho. He would go on to say, because uh, Steinberg's a dolt, and he only Anywho. put in 25 seconds of the Do you not have clip the clip? he wanted Just to play. Well, uh, okay, so it started about 25 seconds. Want to restart here's... the show? You want to restart everything over? Nah, no, we'll just play. <laughs> here's here's the here's the rest of what Dave Tippett had to say after I've put in everything that I wanted to put in now. So is this another good elite teaching tool? You win the 6-3, but... We've already talked about it as coaches. This is a real good teaching one. Just because you can't play like that and expect to be a playoff team. So did they, did they revert tonight to playing kind of like they have played? Before? No, it's it's a tough game. I mean, you come back from a trip, you recognize it's a tough game, and and they give they came at us hard. They they pushed us hard, and we didn't handle it very well. Right, just didn't have turned the puck over a lot. Wouldn't play with enough pace to uh, catch up with the game oh, yeah. until a couple of skill players made a couple good plays and pushed us ahead, but. Other than that, Koskinen was was the whole story of the game. So there you go. That's the entire clip that I wanted to play. I'm glad that uh, old dummy down here at the Better Business Bureau Hot Stove Lounge could uh, figure that out live on the air once the show had started. The big dummy. Um, but you hear that from the head coach, and it was supposed to all play in one continuous clip, but I think you get the gist. Uh, three questions asked of him trying to talk about the positives of a 6-3 win, and, and Dave Tippett, the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, wanted to have none of it. And you can understand to an extent why, because I think that there is a pointed message there and a rather pointed attempt to get on top of bad habits and not let a group of yeah. players start to feel too good about the way that they're playing and feel too good about the results they're having. And and I think that we have seen that in the past from other coaches. We've seen it from Todd McClellan. We have seen it from Ken Hitchcock. They were never able to get on top of it as much as they would have liked. Here are the Oilers. They've won six of their first seven games to the year. They're one of the best teams in the NHL. 
through the first two weeks of the season, and yet after their sixth win of the year, the head coach not saying very many nice things about his group. That, uh, that to me, is an indication of, okay, there are still some of the same issues uh, with that group that have existed for a long, long time. And I'm curious whether or not Dave Tippett is going to be able to get on top of it this year and whether or not he's going to be able to get the buy-in from the guys that he needs to get the buy-in from. He's gotten it before. He's had success before. But I just found that really interesting to hear that from the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers after a 6-3 win in a game where they led 6-1 for a good chunk of it. Am I, am I reading it in a similar way you read it last night, my friend? You are bang on, Patrick. And I saw this stat when Dave Tippett was hired by the Oilers, and I think we're starting to see some of that come to fruition here in the early parts. As you mentioned, six wins in their first seven games, one of the best teams in the NHL right now. And their top two superstars in McDavid and Dreisaitl are one two in NHL scoring, and they look like they have are, are ready to take this team on their back and try to take that next step. But the reason I mentioned Dave Tippett and why I think you're bang on about your read on that clip is, you know, we talked a lot about Dallas Aikens last couple of days and what the start has been in Anaheim, and he went into Edmonton and tried to change the culture overnight, and he admitted that was a massive mistake. That was not the way to approach that, and if he could do it all over again. He would, and he thinks that he would have more success in doing that. Now, I think Dave Tippett is a guy who has experience changing cultures, and now when he was hired by Dallas in 2002, it's not like this is a team that was you know years away from losing. I don't know if he had to change the culture in Dallas, but right. he had 46 wins in his first year with the Stars, a 677 win percentage in that first year behind the bench in Dallas. His first year in Phoenix – he won the Jack Adams Award. They won 50 games and a 652 win percentage. When Dave Tippett is hired by a team, evidence has shown in those 96 wins in the first two years in both those cities combined, I mean, this is a guy who has been able to get immediate success, and I think he's trying to bring that with this Oilers team, and he knows that if he were to go publicly last night and talk about McDavid's five points, talk about the offensive output, output it's not going to have the same message. And you can say one thing behind closed doors and then go publicly and praise your team. The message is not going to be stagnant. You're not going to get the same message across. So I think behind closed doors and in front of the media, Dave Tippett is not afraid to say the same thing. He's not afraid to say something extremely negative about his group. And I think that's what has been missing in Edmonton. And I think that's what he's trying to change right now with this group. And are we going to see results long-term? Are they going to be in the playoff picture come April? Well, we'll find out, but it sure looks like at least early returns lead you to believe he's going to have that same success the first year uh, in Edmonton as he did with Dallas and Phoenix. So I think he's trying to change that culture, Patty, and he knows that if he didn't say those things publicly last night, he's not going to have the same results long-term with this other team. On the uh, Glenn Morati fan feedback text line, 960-960, couple of uh, texts, maybe because they got outchanced and outshot. Uh, that's why Dave Tippett not so happy. Um, this, exactly they played why. like crap. Philly's goalie was just worse, or Philly's goalies were just worse because they used both last night. Um, this reads, even McDavid made similar comments. They won't have the same result facing better teams. And this one, so I'm an Oiler hater, so the 780 listeners can take this with a grain of salt, but falling behind every game, having 
James Neal shoot 35%, having two guys carry all the offense and giving up 50-plus shots to a tired team on the second half of back-to-backs. 6-1 is 6-1, but it doesn't sound very sustainable. And, and that's that's the thing. And, and Luke also writes in tongue-in-cheek, Pat, you've led with the Oilers too many times this season. I just find it to be a very compelling story. They're the closest team to us um, in in terms of another NHL market. Um, we don't see the Flames and Oilers play until December 27th, and I'm very invested in having these two teams be good at the same time again. I would very much like to see a real battle of Alberta, and for more than just one season like we got two or three years ago. Like I, I would I would like to see it on a regular basis, and I find the Oilers to be an extremely compelling story, and we just talked about Flames for an hour on Hockey Central at noon, and we'll talk about them more in just a couple minutes, but... Um, I just I, I find the Oilers to be one of the more interesting teams in the league because they're off to such a great start, but they're also doing things that, as that text said, are not sustainable. And this is not me trying to say that, oh, no, no, they're not going to make the playoffs. This is all an illusion. They're junk. That's not me saying that at all. But I think what is important to point out is that Dave Tippett sees that maybe the way they're playing long-term does not translate to sustainable winning. And when you've got a coach seven games into the season coming out and saying things like that, I think it gives you a pretty good understanding of what he has observed and what he has realized. Right now, the Oilers are one of the worst possession teams in the NHL. They're getting routinely outshot and outchanced by a large margin. They've got the fourth highest even strength shooting percentage on the ice. Their PDO, which is uh, you know, very much kind of um, an indicator of of percentages as opposed to the way you're playing is extremely high. I if the Oilers don't change some of the things that we're seeing, they're not going to continue winning games at a sustainable clip. And and. I'm not saying that they're not going to change those things. I think that there's lots of talent still there. And I think when you've got McDavid and Dreisaitl, when you've got a really responsible and smart two-way center like Nugent Hopkins, when you've got a couple of you know pretty pretty solid blue liners like Clefbaum and Nurse, and when Larson returns, I, I think they can change the way that they're playing. But... I just found it interesting that you know the coach came out and said those things because there's been a lot of talk on the outside about the sustainability level of what the Oilers are doing, and I think the the head coach of the team has those has those same thoughts. Will I think that he looks at it and says, no, if we don't if we don't change some things and if we don't get more buy-in in certain areas, we're not going to be winning more than we're losing in the long term this season. Right, and that's been the Oiler problem the last few years. For sure, that's why it hasn't worked. And and again, yeah, I think a lot of their statistics right. Now their power plays at forty five percent. James Neal's shooting at thirty five percent. They're doing a lot of things that aren't sustainable. Mm-hmm. The only thing I, I will say is sustainable, and, and we can wrap up our other talk with this uh, this classic clip. What to say? You know, McDavid is just too good, man. The guy is ridiculous, and oh, he had five not, points last night. Bonkers. He's got seventeen points in seven games. The second order ever to do that. The first since Wayne Gretzky, obviously. Uh, Dry Saddle's taking another step. He's got fifteen points in seven games. Um, it didn't take long for those two to go back on the same line. And I guess when you have production like that, why why change it? Um, it it's been quite ridiculous. And Connor McDavid is so fun to watch. Um, he's right now obviously going to shatter his career highs, and he's on pace for his fourth consecutive 100-point season. Yep, the guy is in a, a different stratosphere. There is no doubt 
about that. Okay, Luke, we're done talking about the Oilers. You can stop being angry now. Welcome to the Steinberg Show. Happy game day from the Scotiabank Saddledome. He's Will Nault. My name is Pat Steinberg. Uh, we're uh, live on a Flames game day for Country Hills Toyota. It's the Flames and Red Wings at 7 o'clock. We've got this game for you starting at 6 o'clock and our pregame show Flames warm-up. If you're looking for this one on television, Ryan, Rick, and Kelly have got it for you on Sportsnet 360 on television. Again, baseball on the main Sportsnet channels, so hockey on the uh, companion channel. So Sportsnet 360 is where you'll find the Flames and the Red Wings tonight. What can we tell you about tonight's lineup? We can tell you Michael Backlund's good to go. Uh, we were expecting Backlund to be good to go last night or yesterday, but is confirmed today. Uh, so he will be right back in his regular spot. Backlund between Kachuk and Froelich. Of course, Michael blocked that shot in the third period on Tuesday. Left for a few minutes. Looked bad, but came back. Missed practice yesterday for maintenance. Other lines tonight, Monaghan between Gaudreau and Lindholm, of course. Uh, the bottom six going to look like this. It'll be Derek Ryan centering a line with Sam Bennett on the left and Andrew Mangiapane on the right. And then Mark Jankowski in the middle between Milan Lucic on the left and Austin Zarnik on the right. Tobias Reeder will be your healthy scratch at four forward tonight. On the back end, nothing changes. Giordano with Brody, Hannafin with Hamannick, Shillington with Anderson. It'll be David Riddick getting the start in net his seventh start in eight games this year. Uh, Jimmy Howard gets the start in net for the James Detroit Howard, how are you? Yes, James Howard. Uh, the Red Wings have played six games this year, an even split of starts between Howard and Jonathan Bernier. But uh, Wax's sarcastic player profile uh, will not be rattling Jonathan Bernier tonight because uh, Bernier not playing tonight, at least as of right now. We'll see if Boy, that's an epic fail for Wax. I know. Walks at least choose a guy who's playing for the sarcastic player. Surprised profile. he didn't pick like Joe Hicketts or something. Like he decided to, you know. <laughs> Joe Hicketts. Good, really? Good pull. Really went on good a limb pull. with Jonathan Bernier. Um. We are going to see the Flames go with Shillington Anderson once again on the back tonight. I asked Derek this question here in the in the hot stove lounge a couple minutes ago. Ooh, I wanted do to bounce share. it off of you uh, as well. Uh, is is this is this top six? starting to trend for you like the regular top six? Like, is this – Stone has only played two games. This will be game number six for Shillington tonight, so he'll have played six of eight when this game comes to an end. Whoa. Ooh. Pat, Pat almost died on the air. That Thai chicken soup has still got some uh, – I had it like – 45 oh, minutes oh, ago, still oh, some oh. remnants in there. It was oh. spicy. I tried to warn you how spicy the soup was, <laughs> Oh, Pat. boy. That was like 45 minutes ago my I had it. My eyes were watering. My nose was running. Oh, boy. I was coughing. It was tasty, though. Was really Derek, good, can though. you paint us a picture for Pat just choking on the air? Because we didn't get to see it. But It wasn't that dramatic. Like, I think, you know, mm. I was turn the mic off, cough a couple times. I mean, his one eyeball popped out. He had to stick <laughs> it back in there. But other than that, he looks like he's fine. Yeah, but that happens. <laughs> that happens all the time. You know that. <laughs> Okay, got that's, a weird, that's a flag. I've got a got a poppy eyeball. I didn't know. Feed me, Will. <laughs> poppy eyeball. <laughs> On that note, bye. Bye, Derek. Uh, but I asked him this question a little earlier. Is 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 this starting to trend towards this being the regular top six? Look, we talked about how well Shillington played on Tuesday. Bill Peters said it again today. One of his best games he's ever seen him play. Like I, I wonder, just knowing the way the Flames play, the way that Shillington has has taken some steps from last season to this season, and and knowing how we've seen them utilized to this point, 
I wonder if this isn't the majority look that we see over 82 games. And that's not to say Stone won't get in, and I think Stone is a great luxury to have as a number seven, and I thought Stone played pretty decently in the two games he got into. Like This is not an indictment on the way Michaels played at all. I just wonder if with the investment in a young player like Shillington, with what he could be to your team going down the road, and what you've seen from him progression-wise, plus the way you play and the way that he fits into the way you play, I just wonder if this is starting to trend towards being the regular look for this group on the back end. Yeah, boy, the question I asked you and Ryan before the start of the season, who would play more games, Stone or Shillington, it is a landslide right now. And I think the key word you used there, Pat, was investment. I think they want to invest in a guy they draft. And not to say that they haven't invested plenty of, of time in Michael Stone. They gave him two contract extensions. They brought him back after a buyout. So they have invested in Stone. But I think Shillington's a guy they really want to see grow. And I think Bill Peters is encouraged by the growth he's seen game by game with Oliver Shillington. And I think that's the reason why he has remained in that lineup. And I think, you know, Michael Stone's a perfect guy to play that Dalton Prout type role that we saw last season. Prout only skated in 20 games for the Calgary Flames. And I think right now, if things continue to go the way they are, yeah, I think we are seeing that that constant, uh, you know, and, and consistent top six. And I don't think Bill Peters is a guy who likes to have a ton of rotation if he doesn't have to go down that road and and I know at some point we've talked about seeing Giordano and Anderson long term but as long as things are, are playing the way they are right now Anderson's still getting time on the power play still being used in a ton of different situations and I think his growth is still you know at a tremendous rate right now and they're not hurting his growth by keeping him in that third pairing with Oliver Shillington so yeah I think the investment's there right now in the young player and and until he really starts to slip on a two three game stretch I don't think we're going to be seeing Michael Stone for an extended period of time and and I think he is kind of solidified himself in that number seven role and You'll get him in in certain situations, back-to-back, or I know Bill Peters doesn't like for guys to sit a long period of time. But, yeah, right now I think the investment's there, and there's no reason to take Oliver Shillington out of the lineup. Yeah, and and look, we don't know the way that things are going to continue for Shillington. There's no saying whether or not you know he might take a step back here and there, or, sure. or there might be games where Stone's just a better fit, or, or maybe you feel better in certain games. I, I think the other thing that you got to remember is there might be games where you feel more comfortable with Anderson Giordano as a pairing as opposed to Giordano Brody. Like There might be games later on in the year or just the way things are going. They're like, no, we really want four and five to play together as opposed to five and seven. And to do that, a lot a lot of times Shillington's going to come out. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of different things that come into it, but when it's all said and done, if we're if we're talking about a generally healthy season for the Flames, if we're sitting here in April coming to the end of the regular season and Shillington has played somewhere in the range of 65 games, it's not going to be a massive shock to me, especially with the way things are going right now. I don't think that he is guaranteed a spot every single night, but I think more often than not when everybody's healthy, um you're looking towards things trending to the the top six looking the way it looks right now. Other thing I, I wanted to touch on for tonight's game, and it's just a thought on the opposition because I heard you and, and Lou talking about it in Hockey Central at noon. The Red Wings are a, a really interesting team to me, and, and I actually feel more confident about the direction the Red Wings have, are going than I have in probably a decade like will you and i have been talking for quite some time about 
the way this Red Wings team is trending. And, and the writing had been on the wall for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years that, okay, th- this is this is on the road to a really tough stretch and eventually they're going to miss the playoffs and eventually it's going to be tough for them to sustain their level of play. And, and as players got older and Datsuk left and Zetterberg left and Cronwall, uh, his, his effectiveness dropped off like, it started to get towards the the point where you're like, okay, this this is this is coming to a head. Well, it's come to that head right now. But I'll give Ken Holland, the outgoing GM, now the GM in Edmonton, I'll give him a lot of credit for the groundwork that he laid there in turning this team around. I think they've got the right guy in Steve Eiserman to now oversee this rebuilding process. And and I like a lot of the young talent that they have assembled. You know, you talked a lot about the Larkin line with Mantha and Bertuzzi. There's Anthony Siu, and then there's some really impressive and promising young talent that they don't have playing in the NHL. They might not be a playoff team this year, Will, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Red Wings are back to a sustained run in the playoffs in the very near future i don't see it the same way um i, I think so where where are you down on the red wings well they still have a lot of money tied up in some older players now the term isn't as damaging as it was two years ago but they haven't had a ton of high picks in recent time um some of their elite players are already going into their mid-20s i just don't know if we're going to see immediate success with this Red Wings team. I think they're in way better shape than they were years ago, but they're still right against the cap. Uh, They don't have a ton of elite prospects. The ones they do have are on the NHL team and are 23, 24, 25. Uh, They don't have a long-term answer in goal. Um, I, I I don't know if I see this Red Wings team all of a sudden going to turn a corner and be that consistent playoff team and emerge into Stanley Cup contending land. I, I don't love the makeup of the roster outside of a couple of guys and Anthony Siu, Mantha, Larkin, but on the back end, do they have anyone that, that's really emerging? Probably not. And again, their goaltenders are 35 and 31, and they don't have a guy that looks like he's going to be taking the reins the next time they're ready to be competitive. Now, the next couple of drafts, they've got a lot of picks, i.e. this year. Uh, they've got five picks in the first three rounds, um, so they, they can start to build those cupboards up. And I think Steve Eisenman's the perfect guy to be at the helm to kind of turn things around and maybe get this team slowly out of cap jail. But, yeah, I, I just don't know if we're going to see the, right. Red, the Red Wings in the next five years being a team competing for a Stanley Cup. See, I'd push back a little bit on the elite prospect side of things. Like the 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 player that they took in the first round this year, the guy that they took, a lot of people said they reached. Uh, th- that was on the outside. I've talked to player, uh, rather to player personnel people on numerous teams. When they took more at Cider in the first round, that was not a reach. This guy is extremely well thought of. When you put more at Cider with Philip Zadina, uh, Joe Valeno, and a couple of other players, Jonathan Bergren and Jared McIsaac, like there are a lot of people who say there could be two or three elite prospects not on the Red Wings uh, team right now, and some players that are knocking on the door, like Zadina is a a really impressive player coming off his first year in the American Hockey League where he put up points that you don't see a lot of 19-year-olds put up. Uh, Sider's the German product that a lot of people are are fascinated in and and potentially him being the next rock and anchor of Detroit's blue line. Joe Valeno was one of the most productive players in, in his age group in junior hockey, and I know that he dropped in the draft, but a lot of people thought that they stole him 
I think Detroit's got some prospects that aren't even playing on the team right now. When you take a look at the ages of some of the other guys, when you're the guys that you mentioned, specifically Larkin, who is still a very young number one center in this league and I still think has room to grow, I don't think we're talking about that long until the Red Wings are able to be competitive. Larkin's 23, uh, and I know that Mantha and Bertuzzi and Anthony Sio a little bit older, so they're you know they're closer to 25. But I I just think that there's better to again. Do I do I love the way their NHL roster is constructed right now? No, I, I don't. If, if you were to ask me, do I think they're a playoff team this year? No, I don't think they're a playoff team this year. I just think in the next few years, they'll be right back in that conversation and, and right back to being uh, a really, really tough out night in, night out. Playoff team and Stanley Cup contender are different, though, right? Yeah, and I mean, Because I, I, I agree. I think they're going to be a playoff team in the next couple of years. I just don't know if we're seeing them emerge immediately. And and I think, you know, your broad or bigger point is, is probably bang on in terms of they're in much better shape i just you know i i do again prospects are only prospects too right you've got a hit on them and and they do look positive no doubt about it but you got 35 year old franz nielsen under contract justin applicator's contract is is abysmal it's one of the Um, worst in hockey i I don't know how you get underneath those and and we'll have to find out again eiserman is a bit of a wizard but um, the other thing, too, you need to, to win hockey games is goaltending, and they don't have a long-term answer there, and that's concerning. That is one area that they, they don't have a necessary, uh, necessarily a, a long-term fit for because uh, Jimmy Howard is 35 now, uh, which actually is one of the more mind-blowing things. It seems like just yesterday when oh, – don't wait! Don't don't forget they've got Jimmy Howard coming in Detroit, and I think it was partly because he played so much time in the American League before getting to the NHL. But uh, yeah, Jimmy Howard's thirty-five. They don't necessarily have that long-term. This, fit this is his net. tenth full season in the NHL, by the way. Yeah, and and he was in the American League for three or four years yep. before he got to the NHL. He's been in the Red Wing system a long, long time. Detroit, by the way, three and three to start the year. They're coming off a five-one loss to the Vancouver Canucks on Tuesday. Good first segment. I like that, and and I'm curious to see what the Red Wings are tonight, and I'm curious to see what they are going down the road. Uh, tune in a little bit later on today between five and six o'clock on the Sports Drive at five for Inside the NHL with Pinder. It's all brought to you by. Calgary Co-op. It pays to be a member. Earn money towards your annual member refund with every fill at your local Calgary Co-op gas station. Here's my problem with my co-op setup. I live across the parking lot from a co-op. I go there anywhere between five to seven times a week. Um, but my uh, co-op member card, it's my brother's number, so he gets all the refund money. i got to change that at some point. That's probably got to be something I changed. He doesn't my brother even lives, live here. Yeah, my brother lives in Vancouver, it out, and he gets, uh, he gets a check from co-op every year because I give all of my points to him. I should probably change that because uh, the co-op refund is the greatest thing going. It's the greatest grocery store on the planet. And last time I checked, your, prob- your brother probably doesn't need any help in the financial no, he's department. Doing, he's doing all right financially, yeah. too. So uh, maybe you should change that, Pat. I also live at Co-op. Like they have a bed for me because they're open till midnight. The downtown one—it's the greatest thing ever. So, literally at 11:45, you're like, I wouldn't mind having some food. You go down across a parking lot, get some food, and go back up to the apartment. It's the greatest thing ever. Anywho, or, or you go to uh, Hayden Bluff. 
Inside the NHL, uh, brought to you by Calgary Co-op. Let's win you some money on a little football and a few other things when we come back. Chris Abbott from Odd Shark is our guest. Next on the Steinberg Show, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The Steinberg Show, brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Volksfest. Purchase an Atlas and you can get up to $4,000 bonus cash and no charge on winter tires. FifthAvVW.com. Welcome back to the Steinberg Show. That music means it's time to chat with our buddy Chris Abbott from Odd Shark. I was gonna do the uh, I was gonna do the wrestling intro, but I've got wrestling questions for him at the end of the segment, so I didn't want to go too heavy with wrestling. Uh, I'll tease that and we'll leave it till the end. Hello, Mr. Abbott. How are you, pal? I'm great, buddy. How are you doing today, Pat? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's game day here for the Calgary Flames, so we're at the rink getting set for the Flames and the Detroit Red Wings a little bit later on. It's also the start of Week 7 in the NFL with the Chiefs and Broncos playing this evening. KC favored by three on the road in uh, Thursday night football. Total right now sitting around 49 and a half. How, do you, uh, how are you liking or what are you looking at for Thursday night football this week? Man, this total has gone up a full point since this morning. I actually bet under 48.5, so I don't like that whatsoever. Um, I do think this is going to be a low-scoring game. The Kansas City Chiefs over the last three weeks are averaging 23 minutes of possession time. That's dead last in the NFL, and it's shown. They're one and two straight up and against the spread in those games. People uh, or teams' opponents are keeping the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands to limit the damage that he can do. So, you know, it's... Not so much he's not executing. He's not getting the opportunities to execute. And I think Denver's going to keep the ball on the ground. They've got Philip Lindsay there tonight. So that could play right into the Broncos' hands. I think this is a low-scoring game. But I would say that a few weeks ago, if we saw minus three Kansas City against Denver, we'd all take out an extra mortgage and put it on the Chiefs. Um, I do think the Chiefs have a, a good chance to cover the spread tonight. Are you worried about them at all right now? I know a lot of non-betting analysts are, are worried about the way the Chiefs are trending right now, Mahomes and his ankle, and the fact they've lost back-to-back games. Are you worried about the Chiefs, or are you worried about them being overvalued right now? Well, what I would say I, I'm worried about with them is their defense. And we knew last year that their defense stunk, and they didn't really do a whole lot to make it better this year. Um, they're 30th in rush yards against 13th in pass yards against their uh, near the bottom of the league in their time on the field. Obviously, I just talked about the fact that the offense isn't spending much time on the field, so the defense is out there an awful lot. Um, they were without Tyree Kill for an awful long time this season, so I think that plays into it a little bit. You need a game-breaker like him. But, um, yeah, I think they're coming back to earth a little bit. I think coaches have figured out how to best play against this offense. They don't have a running threat coming out of the backfield. They do miss Kareem Hunt in that regard. They're, they're 25th in the league in rushing yards per game. So it's Patrick Mahomes or nothing. So it gets a little easier to game plan for that. Yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely something to that. I think you're you're bang on. And it, it sure does look like, you know, there are a lot of people who were predicting a winless season for Denver. That's obviously not going to happen. It sure does look like they've turned things around pretty significantly. Yeah, I mean, you've got to take it with a grain of salt that their last couple of wins are against the Titans and the Chargers, two teams that haven't been really impressive at all this year. But, you know, a two-point loss to Jacksonville, an 11-point loss to Green Bay, a two-point loss 
to the Bears. So, you know, this Denver team is staying in games, which as a better, we love to see. And, uh, you know, they're kind of mixing up their attack. They, they have a good balance between run and pass. And Joe Flacco will have a good game every now and again. But the key to them is Philip Lindsay and their defense. And I think, you know, when you look at Denver's defensive stats, in the last two games combined, they allowed 74 rushing yards against. So they're really good at taking away the run game. And now that, you know, for a night like tonight, for example, they can focus in on Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they would have done the same thing against Tennessee, try to take away the run game, make Marcus Mariota beat them. So, uh, you know, I think there's optimism in Denver. And this division, to me, is wide open right now as well. He is Chris Abbott from Odd Shark, joins us Thursdays with his weekend best bets. You talk about the last two teams Denver has beaten, the Chargers and the Titans, and they play one another on Sunday. Uh, right now, Tennessee, the home team, favored by two. Who do you like in this one, knowing that the Chargers have not really lived up to anything close to their potential this year? Yeah, so you're asking me to take a choice between a Chargers team that's 1-4-1 one, and one against the spread, since Melvin Gordon's come back, their run game is in shambles. Or Ryan Tannehill, like how much? Exactly. Do that. How am I? It's, so I'm not. I'm not. Sophie's going to choice. Make a play on this game, I, I'm going to walk away from. Yes, yeah, Sophie's choice for sure. I'm going to walk away from this game. This is one of these games where you look up and say, "Hey, there's a lot more games on the schedule that I can bet here." Um, you know, there are some trends that you could keep in mind. The under is hit in the Chargers' last five games. Tennessee's been a decent under bet this year as well. Uh, get the number for you exactly. Yeah, so both teams one and five over under, and that's probably why the total is hovering around 41 right now. And uh, neither one of these teams can really score. Tennessee is a pretty good defense, so I'd probably lean on the underside of things in a very, very underwhelming game in Tennessee on Sunday. Or you could take your advice and just not play that game. I, um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you force me to play it, I'd play the under, but I'm not going to play this game. A couple of small numbers, and, and, you know, sometimes these are ones that you just completely stay away from, or, or sometimes you can see a lot of value in them. What about Houston Indy with the Colts favored by one at home? Yeah, you know, I'm a, I do like the Houston Texans normally. Um, I, they came out of the gates a little bit slow this season, I think, but the last two games they've scored a combined 84 points against KC and Atlanta. Granted, those are two of the worst defenses in the league, but at least they're having some success, and that should breed some confidence. They're going up against an Indianapolis team that's kind of middle of the pack in offense and defense. So I kind of lean toward Houston here. Indianapolis doesn't have a very good spread record over the last few years coming out of the bye either. So much like uh, you know, I said with the, the Broncos and their division, Things are kind of opening up in the uh, AFC South where uh, you find the Texans as well. So, um, you know, this is a, a big divisional game for these teams, and um, I'm probably going to lean towards Houston here. I just think they have more game breakers. And the final number I wanted to look at in Week 7 with you is a Vikings team that looks completely different the last couple of weeks on the road against a Detroit Lions team that a lot of people did not like how they were jobbed on Monday against the Green Bay Packers. Detroit, at, uh, their record, 2-2-1. Two, two and one. A lot of people look at them as, as probably being a little better than that record suggests. How do you like the Vikings favored by one on the road in Detroit? Yeah, there's a few different ways to look at this, this game. The Vikings have been unbelievable at home. They've been okay on the road. 
But I do think that we might still be undervaluing them a little bit. Like they had a close loss against Chicago, a close loss against Green Bay where they started slow and everything else has been a win. Meanwhile, I think we're kind of undervaluing the Lions as well. And you're right, they did get jobbed against Green Bay. They lost by four to Kansas City. They've got wins over Philadelphia and the Chargers. Um, this is a tough one, Pat. This is a really, really tough one. This, I think, is going to be the biggest game of the week in the NFL. Uh, and you can argue that the Sunday nighter is as well. But um, I think this was at plus two. It's come down to minus one and a half. I think the league might owe something to the Detroit Lions here this weekend. I think they're going to be fired up. This one's a tough one to call, but I think I'll go with the underdog here at home. With Chris Abbott from Odd Shark, who joined us on Thursdays, and you've got some uh, WWE odds for us, don't you? <laughs> yeah, uh, came out this week that Hulk Hogan, yes, the Hulkster, uh, 68 years old, I think he is, 66 years old, 66. And he said he doesn't want his last match in wrestling not to be in the WWE. So he said he wants to fight 74-year-old Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. Baby, that's um, that's that's what we call a uh, geriatric showdown. I'm looking forward to it. I don't Vince know and, that and we Hulk. need to see this, but we do have odds for it. Hulk Hogan is a minus 300 favorite with Vince McMahon paying two to one. I can guarantee you if Hulk Hogan does wrestle Vince McMahon at WrestleMania, he will win. So if it's something you want to bet on, that's uh, <laughs> even at minus 300, I think that's a good odds. See, there you go. You don't lie when you say there are odds for everything, hey? <laughs> I don't. Actually, I had someone ask me today for odds on the first NHL coach to be fired. I don't see any up right now, but we do have a request in. So I will pass those along to you, Pat. Once I see them, I know there's a lot of people on the hot seat in Dallas and Minnesota right now. You're a good man, Mr. Abbott. Enjoy the weekend of betting. Good luck tonight on Thursday night, and we will talk to you in one week's time. Thank you, pal. Sounds good, friend. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game tonight. Thank you, man. That's Chris Abbott from Odd Shark, who joins us on Thursdays. Go to oddshark.net for all of your latest analysis, lines, and the best part is they give you lines from every sports book. They give you spreads from every sports book. So if you are looking for something, you're like, I don't like minus three and a half, but if you can give me minus three, I'm all over that. Well, next thing you know, you find that one book's got three and a half, one book's got uh, two and a half, one book's got three. Like it's a, it's a really valuable resource if you find yourself throwing a little money down on the weekend, oddshark.net. And, of course, Chris joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, the same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. This is the Steinberg Show on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The Steinberg Show brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Volksfest. Purchase a Tiguan and you can get up to $2,500 cash purchase bonus and no charge on winter tires. Fifth at Time to turn up the heat. These are three burning questions on the Steinberg Show. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What do we have today on our three burning questions? What'd you call me? I said, comment allez-vous. That's a formal way of saying how are you. We're formal. Well, look at you. You're, you're picking up on your lessons, eh? It's, it's a, it's a How's long it going? Process, is it going good? Friend. It is the most difficult process that I've ever undertaken uh, in learning French. It well, is so I'm hard. So, so hard. Super proud of you. We'll, see how, we'll see how I've, I've, I've been doing it for two months, and I think I'm like 
6.1% there, maybe. I'm probably less than that. It's really hard. Uh, outside of the Flames and Wings, which you will certainly be fully immersed in tonight, Patrick, what do you have your eye on in the NHL schedule, uh, i.e., is there a game that you would like to see or a, a result you're interested to see tonight as uh, we take on now into the, what, second or third week of the NHL season? Well, one that really jumps out is one that I thought we might see last year in the playoffs but never came to be because Tampa got swept. But Tampa-Boston is a really interesting matchup. Bruins are off to a very quiet, good start. They've won five of their first six games. So uh, I think I think Tampa-Boston is one that I, I jump to right away as a really interesting matchup. And it's, it's really the one that I think is the most interesting tonight. Obviously, we've got our eyes on Calgary-Detroit, but I don't know if there's another one that really I would underline or circle on the calendar because uh, that one has a marquee matchup written all over it. Uh, question two, we will see game four of the ALCS finally tonight as it was postponed yesterday. We talked about the rest day and who does that favor. Well, you get a rematch of game one, Grinky on the mound for the Astros, and you will certainly see Tanaka tonight on the mound for the Yankees, and uh, the Yankees won that opening game 7 nothing. John Carlos Stanton's been a big talking point for Yankee fans this year, Patrick. He played in just 18 regular season games. He's been injured the entire season. He did play in game one, but didn't play in the next two games as he's been battling that strained left quad. So he played in game one, did homer off Zach Grinke. If you're the Yankees, you've lost the last two games. What would you do with John Carlos Stanton, knowing that he might not be at 100%? Would you be reinserting him in their lineup tonight in game four? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I I would be very tempted to just because of how close this series has been and how close this series continues to be. And even though he's not at 100%, that's a rare talent that has the ability to change the face of a game with one swing of the bat. And And so because of that, it would be very difficult for me not to reinsert a player like that even even knowing the circumstances on the outside. What what about you? Would you like that's that's a really interesting question. You know, on the surface, I think that I would absolutely put him in. But what about you? Yeah, I think I would lean towards it. At worst, I think he's a guy that I would uh, be penciling in to definitely pinch hit in late game situations when you need maybe a a home run or something. If i.e. if his quad isn't fully there and and you don't think he can play nine innings in the outfield and you're using that DH spot already with Edwin Encarnacion. So if you want to just keep Stanton available on the bench to hit, I would certainly entertain that because this is a Yankee team that can't afford to go down three one to the Astros and and I do think it all depends on that quad. I'd be skeptical to see if he can survive nine innings playing in the field, but to pinch hit would be certainly a possibility for Stanton. That's a really tough decision for Aaron yeah. Boone, knowing the situation in that uh, series, down two games to one, and as I mentioned, can't afford to go down three games to one. Uh, a guy, Patty, that we have seen not really be at the surface or, or at the center of, of headlines in recent time, but playing... Headlines. Playing seven of his 10 CFL seasons with the Eskimos, he was an unbelievable talent for years. Uh, he announced on Twitter today that he's retiring. That is Adarius Bowman. Do you have an Adarius Bowman memory that jumps out to you, or what will you remember about his CFL career? Because there were some years there where he was, you know, not maybe not the top, but he was certainly top two or three receivers in the league. 
I don't know if there is one specific memory that I have of him, but the thing that jumps out to me the most is the year uh, with him and Darrell Walker where Chris Jones's first year close. I believe that was Chris Jones's first year. I believe it was their Grey Cup year, um, but it was a Darius Bowman and Darrell Walker, and those two guys ran wild over the CFL. Like, you could not touch them. And Bowman was the leading receiver that year in the CFL. I'm trying to go pull it up to exactly what year it would have been, but I think it was 2015. Um, but it was it was ridiculous how good those two were, and it was all year long. You could not contain Bowman and Darrell Walker. So that, that t- like, when this guy was on, there was about a four-year span. It was 2016. Uh, Bowman had 17 and Walker had 15. Like, you had more than 3,200 yards from a pair of receivers. And, yeah, I, I just... The thing that I'll remember is that for about a four-year span, this is probably the most dominant receiver in the league. And what's really incredible is that there was a long time where Bowman got this rap of being unreliable. He dropped balls, he fumbled, and he was he was not reliable. He turned that around in a huge way, and for about half a decade was you know one of, and for a good three of those five years, the most dominant receiver in the CFL. And a burning question that we didn't really address in the uh, in this in the the first hour. It comes from uh, Luke on the Glenmore Audi fan feedback line. Pat, why do you go to co-op seven times a week? Do you not own a fridge? Okay, here's my problem, especially during <laughs> hockey season. Like, if I – normal people with normal lives, families, uh, planning, you know, things where they, they can control their own life, I, I do my best work in making sure I get all of my actual work done, the writing, all the stuff at 960. I make sure that I get all that done. It doesn't leave a whole lot of um, time for me to figure out the rest of my life. So if I were to go – you know, a lot of people would like, yeah, I do groceries on Sunday. Or I, go, I go to the grocery store on Monday after work, and I do all my shopping on a Monday. Monday. If I were to do that, everything would die. I'd get I'd get cucumbers and carrots and and steak and all and and it would all go bad. So I I I'm one of those situations where it's like okay, if I'm going to get groceries, I'm going to get what I need that day because otherwise everything will go bad and it's just a waste of money. And and believe me, that's not just me being philosophical and thinking that would happen. That's actually what has happened. So I've just adjusted. So okay, so okay, I, I it's a rare night I'm going to cook for myself. I'm going to go to co-op and get some groceries. Uh, so it may not be the most cost-effective because you're not buying things in bulk, but it's actually more cost-effective for me because I'm not wasting a bunch of food. That's Feed me, Will. As much as, as I do. Yes, please, Will. I would appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> first of all, uh, tip of the hat to Eric Francis for another outstanding edition of the Pizza Pizza. <laughs> Uh, well done, my friend. Calgary was well represented, and it was another incredible event. I always love uh, seeing how many people show up and how much support that event gets. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy it was another outstanding year. The Eric Francis Pizza Pig Out this year, uh, the recipients of all the proceeds were Kids Sport Calgary, the Kids Cancer Care Foundation, and the Calgary Police Foundation. So uh, tip of the hat once again to Francis and the Pizza Pig Out. That was outstanding. And don't forget to listen in next Wednesday for the Bow Show, brought to you by SML Entertainment. Hot Tub Saunas and Home Leisure SML Entertainment has brought friends and family together since 1956. Learn more at smlentertainment.com. What do we expect tonight? What should we be expecting tonight? It's hard to know considering the opponent. We'll touch on that next. Pinder and Steinberg, minutes away on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The Steinberg Show.
show brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Volksfest. Purchase a Tiguan and you can get up to $2,500 cash purchase bonus and no charge on winter tires. Fifth Avenue, VW.com.